page, Isaiah chapter 9. If you could turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 9. when I prayed about where we would go during this Advent season, you know, just this idea of restoration just kept coming to mind. Uh, maybe it's just because I needed it, but I hope maybe that somebody here this morning and that has, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, maybe you've needed it. To be reminded about what this season's about. To be reminded that the season, obviously, you know, when we celebrate it, we celebrate in the sense of giving and how we give of our of ourselves, how we give of our our money and gifts and all these different things, but ultimately understanding that God is the most gracious, generous giver in history. Because in this season, we celebrate Jesus, church. We celebrate a people in desperate need for something different. And God providing that in Him and His Son, Jesus. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is the cohesiveness of everything that it says that, you know, written over hundreds of years, you know, written by 40 different authors, written in three different languages, all these things coming together to communicate truths that span a lifetime. And this morning we're going to be in a, in a book of prophecy this morning from the Old Testament that prophesying about the very moments that we celebrate today and what that means for us as a people, as a church universal, as a church here locally, what that means for us. You know, uh, the, the verse that's kind of carried us through has been in this the same book in Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers Church, Jesus' intentions for us was to be given to us, to restore us. And this morning, what we'll talk about a little bit, and what we'll see, is what exactly God was giving to us when He gave us Jesus. Let's read Isaiah 9 together, and then we'll pray, and we'll get in to see what God has for us this morning. Isaiah 9, one verse and verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Church, if I could sum everything I want us to get this morning up in one idea, it would be this. That this gracious gift that God has given us, that it meets me where I am with exactly what I need. That this gracious gift God has given us through Jesus meets me where I am with exactly what I need and what we need this morning. Let's pray as we ask for God to speak to us. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you are a gracious, gracious, generous giver. God, to a people, God, that deserve much, much less. But in spite of our failure, God, in spite of our times of faithlessness, God, you continue to give. You continue to care. 
God, I pray this morning as we see these names that was given to Jesus, what he would be for us. Father, I would pray we would see where these things fall into our life and where we desperately need them the most. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for every individual that's here. God, I pray you speak to us through your word in a mighty way. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This gracious gift meets me where I am with exactly what I need. You know, God has given us something through Jesus. And this morning I want us to see those things. And it's going to be two things that we'll see mentioned here in these passages of Scripture that are very specific, that are very intentional in how God is providing for us, how He sees uh, to restore the wastelands, the dry lands, the needy lands, the un unworked lands of our life, and how He wants to bring about a, a, a work in us, how He wants to bring about uh, a life within us through Jesus. Through Jesus this morning. And so just to give a little context of, of where we are in the book of Isaiah, you know, the, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to the people of, of Israel, to, to the Old Testament church, and he's telling them uh, all throughout the Bible, I mean, all throughout this book, uh, telling them about their wickedness. I mean, he's proclaiming their wickedness, what they've done wrong, where they've fallen short, where they've, where they've missed the boat because they've done their own thing, they've been selfish and they've done their own, uh, they've walked their own ways. But then always kind of kind of this give and take or this 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 pull and this tug and this give that that he continues back to where not only is he proclaiming God's judgment on sin and what God and uh, how God views the rebellion of his people, but always going back to the mercy of God, always going back to the grace, gracefulness of, of our Lord and Savior and how that plays into our life and in our walks. And and what we'll see this morning is who Jesus is in the midst of all that. That as Isaiah is proclaiming to, very descriptively proclaiming to an individual, uh, to this group of people, that he's also prescribing this or prescriptively speaking this to us today. What Jesus is to us. How ultimately he is stepping into our wastelands, our dry lands, our, our unworked lands, the places we've neglected, the places we've saw as not important or not valuable in our life or in the life of our family or in the life of the people that are most important to us. That Jesus came to be something very special and specific to us. And that God has given us something through Jesus. And church, the first thing that I want us to see this morning, the first thing that God gave us in Jesus is His humanity. Is His humanity. Now this is something that we don't always talk about a lot or maybe we don't really think about when we think about Jesus. But when we think about Jesus, most of the time we're relating it to the God-man Jesus. We think about the deity of Jesus and that is part of what he's given us and we'll talk about that. But most of all, one of the most important things that God has given us in Jesus is his humanity. And we see that here in verse 6. He tells us in the very beginning. He says, for to us a child is born. For to us, a son is given. So he's given us something. He's given us, first off, this is for to us. 
that he's directed it at us, that we are the intentions of his gracious giving, that we are the recipients of God's intention to redeem his, his holy people. And that even though in Isaiah, this is a very descriptive verse talking about those people, it's also prescriptive in a sense that it's talking to us also. It's prescribing something to us. It's telling us for to us, it is given for to us, the people of God who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is what he has given to us, that he has given something to us. God's loving intention for his inconsistent people. And I'm so thankful for that, right? Amen for God's gracious intentions, even in our inconsistencies, even in our failures and our faults. When we're faithless, he is faithful. And I'm so thankful for that this morning, that in the midst of their disobedience and their lack of commitment, God is still speaking, giving over them. That he's telling them here, after in Isaiah, you'll read the wickedness of Judah, uh, the, the, the fall, you know, God's judgment, all these things. And then he gets to verse, chapter 9 and he's speaking, still speaking, giving over them. He's telling them that I am giving you something, that there's something to look forward to. Christ being born to us is the great foundation of our hope. It's the great foundation of our joys. And in in, 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 in for them and for us in our times of, of grief, in our times of fear, that we are those recipients to us. For to us, it is given. God's intentions are to give to us. But not only is he giving us just anything, but he's given us his humanity. He's given us the humanity of Jesus. In verse 6, again, he says he's given to us for a child is born. For a son is given. And this is lowercase son. And so he's talking about, he's talking about a human being. That he is giving us the humanity of Jesus. The fact that God's uh, gift uh, is his eternal son that has put on a human nature is more than we recognize at times. That Jesus never ceased to be Jesus. But there was a time when Jesus was not human. But Jesus stepped into our space, putting on our clothes, putting on humanity, putting on frailty. You know, if you'll read through the Bible, especially in the book of Luke, the book of Luke is one of the greatest explanations of the life of Jesus. And, and, uh, and, and what it does there is it talks about the development of Jesus, that we have to remember that Jesus developed, that Jesus learned, that Jesus followed the law, that Jesus ate, that Jesus drank, that Jesus experienced life as a human being. And that's very significant for us. The fact that Jesus has given us his humanity. And the fact that not only, not only did he come as a human being, but church, he came as a baby. Like what is more frail? What is more, more helpless? What is more weak or dependent than a child? Jesus very easily could have came as a man. God had already done it, right? God had created Adam from nothing. God could have created a man that came into the scene just doing what men do and, and, and kind of bearing that, that weight, bearing that responsibility, kind of being that symbol as a, as a grown man, not having to learn, not having to develop, not having to be dependent. But Jesus chose to step into that, revealing to us his servanthood, revealing to us that, that Jesus came to lower himself as a servant. But the thing about Jesus' humanity and what that means to us was for Jesus to fully identify with humanity and display his life in the certain, as a servant. He had to make himself of no reputation. Church children, babies, kids, they had no rights. They had no, 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 no weight on the world. Jesus chose to come with as no reputation totally dependent, 
totally weak. Philippians 2, 7, it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. That Jesus came being born as we're born, weak, frail, faulty as flesh. He never became less than God, but he purposefully and intentionally chose to put on flesh, to put on frail humanity, to put on dying flesh, dependent flesh, weak flesh. So he became one person with two distinct natures, functioning together in perfect harmony. Because the thing is, if Jesus were not fully man, he could not stand in the place of sinful man and be a substitute for the punishment man deserves. You know, that's the most beautiful thing of what Advent is really all about. Like, yes, we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, but really what Advent and what baby Jesus is pointing to is from the cradle to the cross. Because that's where Jesus saved humanity was on the cross. We sang about it this morning, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that that's what this is all about. That, yeah, we, I, I love baby Jesus, right? A little sweet baby Jesus in the major. We love that story. And, and, and he had to be born. He had to be born a baby. That's what we're talking about this morning. But what it's pointing to, the reason he had to be born as a baby, the reason he had to put on flesh was for us to redeem us from our sins when he would die on the cross for us. Because the Bible tells us that it had to be a man. It had to be a man that would bear this punishment. And he had to identify with sinful man to be able to accomplish it. You know, you think about it. You don't ask a guy who knows nothing about football to coach. You don't ask a guy to be a chef who has never cooked. And Jesus stepped into this space identifying with sinful man to be able to bear sinful man's punishment. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and listen, born under the law. That when Jesus put on flesh, he was born under the law. And it says that to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus was born under the law, bearing flesh so that he could redeem us. Church, that's the thing that makes Jesus. That's the thing that makes our Christianity. That's the thing that makes what we do different than any other religion in the world. No other God has ever debased himself, put himself as a servant, bore the flesh and the weakness of his people to save his people. But God did that to redeem us. Hebrews 4.10 tells, the uh, 10.4, Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to make away for sin. To take away sins, I'm sorry. That it is impossible for any other sacrifice that the Bible tells us in Leviticus, it had to be a blood sacrifice. And you know, and they were sacrificing animals and they were doing these things for the forgiveness of their sins. But then the Bible tells us in Hebrews, they said, but those things would not fully take away sins. That it had to be a man. It had to be a man born under the law. And only a God man could bear it. Because we know that Jesus was sinless. Jesus bore our frailty. He bore what we, what we did. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made himself to be sin 
who knew no sin, that Jesus had not sinned, but he bore our sin. He took it upon himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He put on flesh so that we could put on righteousness through Jesus Christ, through our faith in him. And he did this to meet us where we are in his humanity. When Jesus put on flesh, he was leaning into our mess. He was leaning into our chaos. He was leaning into our frailty. He was leaning into where we're broken, where we're most messed up, that he is an imminent God with his people, purposefully involved with his people. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, will we ever live our life yet without sin? Absolutely not. Only a man who has also have a nature of God could do that. And he did that for us so that even though we are not yet without sin, we can live in the eternal satisfaction and redemption of the one who is without sin. That when God looks at us, he does not look at our frailty, but he looks at the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Church, God gave us Jesus in his humanity as our gift to identify with us, that we would have an imminent God that is close to us, that is not distant, that is not pushing us away because we don't meet the expectation or follow the specific type of rules that bring us into that family or that work or that righteousness. He tells us, no, it's not because of what you've done, but it's because of Jesus bearing your flesh, bearing humanity, coming as a man under the law to take us out from under the law to bring us forgiveness and redemption in his blood. Jesus has offered us his humanity, church, in, in this season. And when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the humanity of Jesus. We're celebrating God giving himself up, giving us his son. So that we could be pulled out from under the weight of the law because he's intentionally put himself under it. And that's something worth celebrating. That's something that brings restoration. If we could really wrap our minds around the God of the universe put on flesh for you. The God of the universe put on weakness for you and me. The God of the universe put on frailty. That he subjected himself to development. That he subjected himself to hunger. That he subjected himself to sickness. That he subjected himself to the effects of sin for our good. He didn't have to. He could have wiped the slate clean. He could have started from scratch, created perfect beings. But that wasn't God's intention. God's intention was to show us his love by bringing redemption to his broken people. And that's what he's done for us. So not only has God given us Jesus' humanity, his humanity as a gift to us in our wastelands and our, for our restoration, but he's also, he's also given us his divinity. His divinity or his place as a holy Deity or a holy being or a holy God. We know that Jesus came with two natures, not only his humanity, but his divinity. That he was not only 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And that was the only way he could live this life sinless. That was the only way he could bear the punishment that he bore for us. And so what do we get with Jesus' humanity? What do we gain? What do we receive? Because Jesus not only came with humanity, I'm sorry, but bore divinity. That he was interjecting his divine nature into the world around him and that he today interjects his divine nature to us through his revealed word and through the Holy Spirit that lives within his believers. This is what he gives us in the midst of our wastelands, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our desperation. 
He gives us these things. And it says His name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. I love that it starts with this name. Because what do we need the most? What are we trying to figure out the most? What in the world we're doing, right? Where in the world am I going? Like, what am I supposed to think about this? How am I supposed to navigate this? The, the, the difficulties of life, the stresses of everyday things going on, our, our work's life, our family lives, our, 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 our situations, the things that we're involved in. We are desperately seeking direction in the midst of all those things. And how do we do it? And God tells us, well, you're going to do it because I'm giving you first and foremost to understand this, a wonderful counselor. You know, and that word wonderful loses its weight with us a lot because when we think of wonder... It takes a lot to impress us these days, right? Between technology and all these things that we have us, to have this sense of wonder about us, we're, we're hard to please. But whenever the Bible tells us about a wonderful counselor, it wants us to imagine wonder beyond wonder beyond wonder about who God is. The most wonderful, awe-inspiring thing that we could contemplate in our minds that I have given you this in the form of a counselor. That He is our wisdom. That what does a counselor want to do for us? If, if, you know, what is someone who counsels us, what are they doing? They're leaning into our lives. They're leaning into those struggles. They're leaning into those things that are tearing us up from the inside. They're leaning into the brokenness that we have in our lives or in our situations or in our marriages or in our lives. They're, they're leaning in. They're hearing what we have to say. They're not only communicating something to us, but they're hearing from us. He tells us that Jesus is that wonderful counselor, that he hears us, that with his counsel, he brings wisdom, that with his counsel, he brings love and sympathy. And we get everything we could want in a counselor leaning into our struggles, that Jesus's intention is to be that for us, that he is leaning in to our struggles, bringing us guidance and direction. Because the thing we have to understand only, only about the humanity of Jesus, but in the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus, and with Him and with His relationship with the Father, that nothing happens outside of His knowledge and wisdom. That He is providential. And what does providential mean? It means that He cares about everything and that He directs all things. And that there is nothing, church, hear me, there is nothing that happens outside of the knowledge of our God. There is nothing that happens outside of the knowledge of Jesus. There is nothing that happens outside of his ordination that he has set forth, that he has said, I'm okay with this and I understand this and that I know this. And so understand this, that there is no struggle that is outside of what God knows the answer for. That there is no need, there is no suffering, there is no despair that we experience that is outside of the counsel, the wisdom, the knowledge of our holy God. That he is a wonderful counselor that covers all things. That when we lean into his goodness, when we lean into his wisdom, that he will direct us, that he has a counsel, that his counsel is faithful, that it is without self-interest, that it is, it, is, it is full of heart and love for us and it isn't detached or unemotional. You know, one of my favorite moments in the Bible is whenever Jesus goes to his friend Lazarus, knowing of his death. When he arrives there, what does it say? It says he wept. Church, he wept. Because in that moment, he was remembering and thinking on the weight of death against his people. You know, even as Christians, we, we weep at death. Even if we believe in eternity beyond life. 
We weep because we see the effects of sin on people's lives. We see the effects of sin in our world system that brings sickness and brings hurt and brings pain. Listen, our God is a God that understands us, that is sympathetic to us in our hurts. Psalm 16, 7 says, Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Uh, Romans eleven thirty three. 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of His wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable are His judgment and how inscrutable His ways. 1 Corinthians 1, 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God is offering us through that, through Jesus, through a faith in Jesus. Do we experience a wonderful counselor who leans into our mess, leans into our struggle, and gives us direction, gives us encouragement, gives us satisfaction. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, but continuing on, it says that he is a mighty God, that he is strong, that he is a powerful warrior. That our God is not weak. That Jesus, he subjected himself as a servant. He subjected himself to hurt and, 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 and learning and sickness and, and pain and death. But because he chose it, not because anything overpowered him. And we talked about this last week. Our God is a strong, mighty God. Our God is a warrior. And because our God is a warrior, he is the one who reigns. He is the worthy one fighting our battles and standing in the midst that he is not weak or a fearful God. That in our weakness, in our fearfulness, that he fights for us, that he leans in with us. Isaiah 10, 21, talking about his people, it says a remnant will return, a small group. This remnant of, of Jacob, the mighty God, the, or the almighty God, some versions may say. Psalm 24, 8, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Thank God that he stands in our battle. Because I don't know about you, but every moment that I'm awake feels like a constant battle, right? If it's not against the things outside of us, it's a fight with the things inside of us. The things within us that we're fighting against. Titus 2.13, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great or our mighty or almighty God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is a warrior on our behalf and he fights our battles with us and for us. He's also continuing on an everlasting father. Church, the thing we have to always remember is that we can't look at our everlasting father. We can't look at God, our father, through the lenses of our earthly fathers. As much as I love my father and as much as I know you may love your father, maybe you had a good, uh, good father that they're not perfect. Right. And they failed us. And then and, and, and there, there are times when, uh, you know, as a father, I'm not perfect. And I never want my children to look at our heavenly father through the lens of me because I am nothing like a holy God. That we serve an everlasting father. That maybe we've had great fathers and maybe you haven't had great fathers. But that we would see our heavenly father through a totally different lens. Through the fatherly nature of Christ. Everlasting father meaning forever. Or eternal. Not ending. Not temporary. Not situational. That even though our earthly fathers, they can pass away, our earthly fathers can choose to leave. God promises to reign and to bless for all time. That it's not de determined by how we act. It's not determined by who we are. But because He is an everlasting Father. When He 
steps in, when he becomes our protector, when he becomes our provider, when he becomes that compassionate, caring, and intentional, disciplining father that we desperately need, that it is everlasting, that nothing changes it, that nothing takes it away, and that he never intends to leave us or forsake us. That he is giving us an everlasting father. Psalm 68, 5, he's a father to the fatherless, a protector of widows, and is a God in his holy habitation. Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him or respect him. Proverbs 3, 12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, not only is God compassionate to us, but he disciplines us and thank God for it. Because more times than not, we like to act a fool a little bit. And God leans in and disciplines us, redirects us. But it's because he delights in us, his Bible tells us. And so not only is he our everlasting father who will never leave us or forsake us. But the last thing says that he's the prince of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. This word peace, uh, uh, the original word being shalom. And this type of peace is a completeness. This type of peace is a tranquility. This type of peace is a friendship or a welfare. That shalom, this peace that he intends to bring is not only a peace, <coughs> not only a peace between us and God, though we know that is God's intention, it's for Jesus to bring a peace between us and a holy God. Restore this relationship that sin broke. Restore this, this fellowship that sin, that sin broke apart. But he also, church, he wants to bring shalom between us and others. That that is God's intention. That God leans in to bring completeness, tranquility, friendship, and welfare. Not only between us and a holy God, but between us and each other as people of God. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been declared free and innocent and not guilty, it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, through his humanity and his divinity, that he has brought peace because we've been declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus, that we have peace with God. Philippians 4, 7, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that peace that He brings us is a peace that keeps us and that peace leads us to peace with other people around us. Listen, and that's probably more difficult than most things we do in our life is to have peace with the people around us, right? But God tells us in Ephesians 4.3, that he is eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That it is through God's Spirit, it's through what he has given to us, that he brings peace to our relationships with each other. And the only way we can have true peace with each other is through our peace with God. Through our relationship to God, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, working within us, leading us out, and, and directing our steps, directing our mouths, directing our actions towards other people to bring about restoration. He is the Prince of Peace. The Spirit of God is about peace that brings unity. Unifying us to God, unifying us to each other. 
And so ultimately this morning, what, what do we need to understand as we wrap up? What does Christ bring to us? Church, He brings to us His humanity. That because Jesus, being God from the beginning of time, John tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That Jesus, being God since the beginning, chose to put on human flesh, chose to put on weakness, chose to put on frailty for us to associate with us and meeting us where we are in the midst of our chaos and our hurts and our disappointments. He chose to lean into that with us. But not only has He given us His humanity, but thank God that He's also given us His divinity. That He's given us divinity as a wonderful counselor. Church, that God seeks to give us guidance, direction, and wisdom to navigate life. He does that through His revealed Word. He does that through the the local body of the church. Spiritual development and growth comes not only through our involvement and our reflection on God's holy revealed Word, but through our involvement in the local church. The most important thing we do, church, is gather here together and encourage each other and talk with each other and, and lean into each other's lives together. You know, the average church attendance is, is twice a month. And for the most part, that's not too bad. But ultimately, what we do here together is one of the most vital things that we do in our lives as we grow spiritually in leaning in to each other, creating opportunities to talk about God's Word, creating opportunities to pray for each other, to teach our kids, to instruct each other. God uses us and uses His Word to be that counselor to us. And He uses His Spirit within us. Not only is He a wonderful counselor church, but He's a mighty God who stands strong, providential over all things, as a warrior in our battles, going before us, standing alongside us and guaranteeing victory. Guaranteeing victory because He is a mighty God. And when the God, the Creator of the universe, is on your side, what does the Bible tell us? What can stand against you? What can stand against you? That He's also an everlasting Father. An eternal promise of care and correction and intentional loving and forever concerned and involved and that there's no acts that deter His care for us. There's no failure that you walk into that deters God's care for you as an everlasting Father if you've put your faith in Jesus. And the last thing, man, that He is a Prince of Peace that He leans into our chaos with intentions on restoration, with intentions of restoring the tension between us and a holy God and us and each other. That God is a Prince of Peace that brings peace into our lives. Church, God leans into everything that we see wrong to bring everything about Him that is right into the midst of it. You know, I've spent most of my life believing I am not worthy of His time or His effort. But I thank God that His Word and His people remind me constantly that God is about much more than where I fall short. That where I fall short, God picks up and God carries me. And that God carries you. 
because he wants to lead us. He wants to fight with us. He wants to provide for us. And he wants to keep us. Church, that's what we celebrate in this Advent season. And that's the holy God that invites us into his family. That God tells us this morning that he has a, he has a seat at his table waiting for us just to receive that invitation. To put our faith in Jesus Christ, this one who came, came as human, came as, as God, to bear our sin and shame on the cross, to offer us forgiveness and, and, and pull us out from under the weight of the law. If you haven't put your faith in that holy God this morning, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would know that that holy God is leaning into our chaos this morning and saying, come. He's saying, come. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word, Lord, that we can constantly go back to. God, that is so much greater than my opinions. God, that is so much greater than my life experiences. Father God, your word is eternal. God, your word is truth. And this morning, that truth that we rest in is in your son, Jesus, bearing weakness and frailty for our behalf, subjecting himself under the law, carrying our sin to the cross, and in the midst of that, offering us guidance, offering us strength, offering us compassion and correction and love beyond measure, and bringing about peace and comfort that can only be found in you. Father God, I pray this morning that not a single one of us would leave from this place understanding anything less than who you truly are. Wonderful, mighty, everlasting. God, knowing that there is so much that you intend to do with us, God, and you're just waiting us to receive it. God, if we have not experienced you on this level, it's only because we haven't received it. God, because you've offered it. You've offered it to us. And God, yes, we get busy. God, yes, we get distracted. God, yes, we get disappointed and discouraged. But I pray that in the midst of all those things, we would still constantly draw ourselves back to you. That we would constantly still find ourselves seeking you in these moments. That God, even though this is the end of this, this time as we talk about the restoration that you bring, Lord, that even beyond these moments, we would know and understand and, and believe every single day that it doesn't matter where we are, what we're going through, God, that you are restoring us constantly, that your mercies are new every day. God, and that your mercy triumphs over judgment. God, that you are bringing mercy and grace to us. God, that you did not come to judge the world, but you came to bring us forgiveness. God, you came to bring us love. You came to bring us your grace and mercy that carries us through. Father, I pray that we would always be a people overflowing with that out in our lives. God, giving it to those around us, giving it to our communities that we live in. God, use us and direct us. God, let us as a church, as Crosspoint Community Church, always be remembering that you are a counselor that leads us. God, that you are a warrior that fights for us. God, that you are a father that compassionately cares for us. And that you are a prince peacemaker that steps into our chaos and carries us through. Father, I thank you 
for this church. I thank you for all that you give us the opportunity to do, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, thank you again.